0: The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group.
1: Sorry, I just realized what I did. You guys are pro-life now. All right, for realsies this time.
0: Wait. The following programming is sponsored by Tom Tool III. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Happy
2: October. Welcome to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacey Mitchell. I'm Tom Tool. And again, we work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018, selling residential real estate. And ladies, we have got an international crisis going on. We're going to talk about it in, in a second. If you want to email the show, it's info at tooltimeradio.com. And you can check out our stream on Facebook or on YouTube. Just search Tom Tool Sales Group. That's Tool with an E. So we're going international here today. The Evergrande crisis in China has been going on for years. And a lot of people don't know about it. I mean, this is something that I found is, is, is very underpublicized. So the, the, the short of the Evergrande crisis and This is what real estate agents should know. It's the second largest property developer in China. And they are in a bad financial spot. Everyone's watching. The government might bail them out. And they're they're saddled with $300 billion with a B dollars in debt. To give you some perspective on what this company has developed, they have 1,300 developments. They've developed 280 cities. So, actual cities, not like a borough or a town or a subdivision, cities in China. And what happened earlier uh, in September is that they came out and they said they were struggling to sell property fast enough to make payments on the $300 billion in bonds that they've taken out. And it's put a huge strain on the company's cash flow. And now the government's getting involved and they've had to. Uh, take high interest loans out from employees they've stopped paying them mm-hmm. this is a disaster this is not good um, what do you guys think about this
3: well it's been years in the making I've heard about this I, we were just talking before the show um, maybe four or five years ago of um, I didn't know the name of the company but that they were constructing these like massive almost city like communities built around shopping centers and, um, you know, housing. And they were basically sitting empty. They were ghost towns. Mm Kind of eerie because they were beautiful and monstrosities of these communities and, and just ghost towns and and decaying uh, pretty rapidly. So, but I, I, when this came up today, as we're talking about it, um, it has been years in the making. So for them just to, you know, be shocked that they can't make their interest payments all of a sudden, Um, what I believe though, is that the government of China will bail them out. I think there's definitely going to be a bailout because it's going to be too monumental, not only for their country, but for the global markets as a whole. Um, and just coming off, you know, or coming out, just trying to come out of a pandemic. We don't really know the, the real conditions of the effects of the pandemic on China anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think that the government is going to have to do some type of you know, financial intervention to keep them whole or whole for the most part uh, to keep their economy going. So that's my opinion there.
2: Well, it's already <laughs> drawn comparisons to Lehman Brothers in, yeah. in 2008. So I think that that that's a really good analysis uh, and, and observation on your part, Stacey. And what we know is that you know, China's structured a lot differently. They don't have these independent banks like we do. The banks are regulated by the country. So It does look like they're going to get bailed out here. I mean, Sarah, what do you think about all this? Because I mean, I mean, this is just massive debt that's going to get defaulted on, and this is the second largest developer in China. And in 2018, they were considered the most valuable real estate company in the world. So I don't know how this happens.
4: Right. I mean, it seems like they uh, were probably kept digging in deeper and deeper, Um, and before they know it, (laughs) before they knew it, they were uh, realized they had a pretty big problem on their hands. Um, How it got to this point? you know, you'd think they would have kind of seen this coming a little bit. Um, I do think that China will bail them out, but I think they were trying to set a precedent of not, um, you know, just, I don't want to say blindly supporting, but Mm. um, investing a lot um, to bail out some of these bigger corporations. And uh, with this one being so large though, and the number of employees, um, because they have their, you know their hands really in a in a lot of different areas. So I mean, the real estate market in and of itself is massive, but there's a lot of other pieces to this puzzle and um, a lot of other areas that it would it would certainly affect. So I think with all of that, they're going to have to intervene to to do something to keep it um, to kind of stop the bleeding a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it is. That's a great point. It's not just a real estate company. I mean, they manufacture electric cars. They manufacture and distribute bottled water. I mean, this is a conglomerate, um, I mean, in, in, in every sense of the word. And the the frightening thing here is that real estate um, and related industries in China are about 30% of the GDP. In the US, it's only about 17%. So you're looking at almost double. So the impact is going to be potentially double of the crash that we saw in, in 2008. And they already missed um, you know, they, they already missed one deadline. Um, they, they failed to address another. So, and then this is like paying your bills. Um, they had an interest payment of nearly 84 million that was due a couple weeks ago, um, that they just missed. Um, and they're supposed to make another payment and they don't have the money. And it looks like a lot of this was to your point, Stacy. they overestimated the demand for properties because they primarily work with like middle and upper class apartment, uh, purchasers to, to, to buy these places. And they, the, the places are vacant. I mean, they're not selling them. So when you build that much and over-improve that much, and then nobody's buying it, I mean, you know, all your money's tied up in, the, in this real estate, which, because they, I mean, it looks like they were, they were, they were building too fast and overestimating demand. So it, it's going to be a problem. And, and what, what I'm concerned about is, I mean, I, I think the positive here is that they, it looks like they are too big to fail. Like there, there's no question there. So it looks like the government's going to bail them out. I'm, I'm more concerned with what does this mean after that? Like, I mean, what are going to be the the ramifications here? Because there's, you know, there's Wall Street companies that are exposed that invest in this company. There, the government obviously ha- has an issue. What's going to happen with these with these buildings? I mean, there was a, a video I saw a couple weeks ago where they knocked down, like literally, just like blew up and demolished twelve of the apartment towers because nobody wow. was living in them. And and then you got to deal with like all the maintenance and everything else. I mean, yeah. think about that—a a vacant building that big. I mean, these are high rises here, mm-hmm. and I mean the fact that they they built it and I mean they must have well just blown up the money and not done all the work. And and it, 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 it's 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 a little. I mean, this is this is a serious thing that not enough people are talking about. So, how do you guys think this affects the market here? I mean, it looks like the government is going to bail them out, but I mean, how do you what 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 the U.S. economy? So we're sitting here, we're in Philadelphia, um, we're right outside, we're in the Greater Philadelphia market. What? what ramifications are we going to see here locally? Because I'm sure that's what a lot of people are asking right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely going to be a trickle down effect. Um, you know, I think there's going to be the the supply chain issue. Um, definitely for US companies that do a lot of business in China or are based in China, they're going to probably be some of the first to, to really see, um, you know, a, a change there. Um, but you know, with a company of that size and and with how large this is, I think um, we will 100% see a trickle down effect.
3: Yeah, so the, uh, go ahead. There's definitely going to be impact. Um, we have huge companies, John Deere, Mack Truck, Caterpillar. They um, they export to China, and they have a lot of you know big construction um, equipment that we deal with, or that. China has been buying. So yes, that supply chain could come to a screeching halt. And what's that going to do to our U.S. companies? So it's definitely going to affect. And my concern is that um, China's not always transparent about things. You
2: mean never (laughs) transparent?
3: I'm trying to be nice, I guess. Um, So this is just what we know from, you know, from just little bits and pieces coming out. What is the real true What's the real true essence of the problem that's happening there? Like, how can we get the real information to, um, I guess, what's going to happen is we won't know until we know, right?
2: Well, that's exactly what a lot of the experts are saying. So uh, Rick uh, Reeder, the chief investment officer at BlackRock, it's a global fixed, uh, and he's the chief investment officer of global fixed income. He, he said that the hard thing about understanding China is that it's an opaque system. And oftentimes you don't have answers until you get answers. Mm-hmm. And because the banking system tends to be controlled by the government, um, there, there's a, a presumption here that government intervention is going to happen. And when when you wrap that into everything else there, you know, there, there, there's some very short term financial questions. About some of the other property entities. I mean, what about these other companies that are that are doing the same thing? And when that happens, I, I don't think it's going to create a financial crisis. It might more be there's going to be a lot of volatility in the markets, which the, the markets have have done well. Um, I've, i you know even since you know the restrictions kind of lifted in in May of last year, there's going to be a lot of caution and some hesitancy. And I'm clear the government's going to stabilize it because they have to. I mean, it's like a systemic company that's there, similar to Lehman. I mean, you saw the U.S. government had to get involved there. Uh, but, it, it, you know, there there could be, you know, what, what's going to happen here is like the liquidity issue and real estate being so important to the Chinese economy and the financial well-being of a lot of the families there. Homeownership's over 90 percent in China. You know, wow. and, I mean, that that's a crazy number relative to the U.S. where it's in like the, the, the 60 plus range. And they buy these apartments as an investment, so if it's not contained, I mean, it could really hurt the the end user in in a lot of ways. I mean, they're just blowing up these apartments now. I mean, literally, like they, they they're they're you know they're they're demolishing them. So, what I worry about is like what's going to happen with the consumption of other goods in, in in the Chinese economy, and that could you know because look, the U.S. bars a lot of money from China. I mean, right. this could affect how the Fed adjusts its policy moving forward and what goes on with mortgage rates. So there's going to be some volatility here because it has been very stable. I mean, just look at mortgage rates, how stable they have been. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's going to be the case long-term. And and this might be the thing that pushes it over the edge.
3: Could be. Yes. Um, and not only that, supply and demand, that's going to shift. Uh-huh. If they're not going to be constructing these ghost cities anymore because they're basically insolvent, um, what becomes of supply and demand? Their their supply is going to slow down. I mean, demand is going to slow down. Mm-hmm. they don't already has.
2: Demand. I mean, they're, they're, right. they're, no one's moving in.
3: Right, but we're, are they still constructing? Or did they stop doing that?
2: Um, I I don't know the answer to that. Okay. So I mean, I would imagine they would have if they're mm-hmm. not paying their eighty four million dollar you know <laughs> right. more loan payment coming up.
3: Mm-hmm. So it could it could help in 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 a strange way? it could help if they, you know, if they, if their demand stops, it could open up, um, you know, supply for other areas in a strange way.
2: So, so what if you're a developer here, right. And you run into this problem. I mean, it's, I mean, how do you think that that plays out differently in the U S because to me, this is all about the banking system. This has nothing to do with this. If they were just a development company, it's a screw you guys, you can go bankrupt. It's because they have so much involved in in, in the Chinese um, economy, where they have, the, you know, they're they're doing a little bit of everything. I just th- th- there's going to be supply chain issues. I think we're going to see some supply issues coming up, even worse than they are now. I mean, getting lumber the past yeah. year was okay. a real problem, right? Okay. Think about you know heavy machinery um, and all, all that. You mentioned a couple companies earlier. I, th- this is g- this is going to have an effect on the U.S. So. You know, if, if this happens here, I mean, I, I think this, this company just goes out of business. I mean, that, that's really my, my observation. I mean, do you guys do you guys think anything different? Or if they weren't so invested, that the government probably wouldn't be bailing them out.
3: I think if it were here, the company goes out of business. They just go under. Um, since it's in China and real estate is thirty percent of the GDP, it's huge. And the Chinese government is is China. Like that's you know yeah. so basically this company is China, so it has no choice. It has no choice but to salvage this company, um, because if not, then a third of their economy goes under, basically. So it's it's just going to have um, too great of, you know, it's it's just too great of um, a fail for China. And China is very proud, very mm-hmm. proud, you know, country. They they don't want to fail in anything. So uh, the government's definitely going to make sure that um, they salvage this and and try to um, mitigate the losses as best they can. And that's why they're probably blowing up these buildings so that at least they don't have to keep them.
2: Well, the maintenance costs alone, I mean, just, I mean, you know,
3: that's
2: going to be, that's going to be a problem. So, I mean, Sarah, do you see any, like, I mean, any, anything else that we need to be aware of here? Like, and then I guess we can talk about how this is going to affect the housing market and, and take a quick break. Um, anything else you're seeing or any other observations you have on this news? Cause I, I think this means a lot more than just the Chinese government stepping in here. I, I mean, it, 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 just shows that even China, who the U S borrows a lot of money from isn't, I mean, you know, they're not immune to this stuff.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think as you had also mentioned, I mean, I think we're going to see, we're going to have to keep our eye on the stock market. I think, um, I think it's going to show itself in a number of different areas and to what extreme will probably depend on how quickly, uh, they bail it out um you know to what extent and um as stacy kind of mentioned earlier do we even have the full picture of really what is going on there so you know based off of the information that we have and with the hopes that china does bail them out we'll see a trickle down effect but um maybe it won't be as extreme as it could but behind the curtains um who knows what other factors are in play that we're not even um aware of that could potentially um have a larger effect on us down the line.
2: Well, and you look at what happened a couple of weeks ago and I think that the the thing that a lot of people are talking about is the like the financial contagion. And I, I hate even using the word contagion given what we've right. lived through the past like 19 <laughs> 20 months however the hell long it's been is that you know you're going to see effects in other markets. I mean, back on the 20th of September, um, you know major stocks dropped about 800 points in the Dow Jones because they they, they equities and bonds issued by other developers with high leverage were sold off. And there was protests at the Evergrande offices across China. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right. Um, And so, you know, there there is a ripple effect here because China has been setting the tone for the economy globally. So, uh, you know, and they even triggered like a 10% sell off of Bitcoin, which which was a little wild. So people tend to overreact here. Mm -hmm. The the government's going to bail them out. I really, this is going to be like a stress test for the global economies because this has such a big impact in so many ways. And I, I agree. There's going to be supply chain issues. We're going to see some volatility in the market. You know, we're going to, have to see how this plays out. I mean, uh, hopefully they they just stop overbuilding. I mean that they, this was like a self inflicted problem, and that I think that's that's the worst thing about this. And it's no different than these developers in Philadelphia. I mean, they had plans next to the Ben Franklin Bridge to build a you know waterfront high rise. They were pre selling properties, and the market uh, collapsed in 2008, and they refunded all the deposits. There was developers in Philadelphia in Old City that built these condos they sold like 3 out of like 15 in the building and then the developer just left the country and these people were stuck there this was big news so this company's so big they just can't leave and never come back and go back to like their safe haven in the middle east or wherever they're from because that that's what happened in Philadelphia so you know th- this is something that's got to get fixed and uh, you know m- my hope is that they learn from this and there is going to be an impact here and I think everyone needs to be watching this pretty closely because if the government doesn't step in there's going to be a lot of problems
3: be a lot of problems and the other thing too to consider is we're not thinking about it they're obviously going to slow down their construction that's going to lay people off you know and you talk about the high interest loans from employees that they haven't paid like so so
2: now they've taken their savings right right. they're not paying them and then they're going to might have to lay people off
3: right so it's it's just a a huge disaster on the horizon um and regardless of whether they're bailed out or not, they're still going to have to slow their pace. So there's still going to be massive layoffs. It's going to affect their local economies.
2: Yeah. And I, I, it's just, uh, you know, and, and we don't know what's going on. I think that's the biggest right. problem is yes. that China is not transparent. They use the word opaque in the article here and, and a lot of the news surrounding this. So th- this is going to mean more. And I think it's something we're going to have to monitor because th- we're going to feel the effects here in the US, whether we like it or not. Cool. And the government's going to bail them out I mean I don't see how, how they that would be the, sh- the more shocking news if there's not a bailout True. That, then that's going to be a, a major problem but it looks like the government's going to bail them out so this is one to keep your eye on if, if you're not following this story it's really important to start looking at this stuff especially if you got money in the markets or I mean there, there's a lot of people that are but a lot of people have no idea this is even going
3: on right I agree I, I, I know that the average American probably has no clue that something like this is looming.
2: Well, it just shows how, how you know, however, I mean, no one saw Lehman Brothers either. And that happened right. real fast. Yeah. So that that's another great example of how these things can happen. And because China regulates everything themselves, you know, they don't they don't have those checks and balances like we do here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break. Stop talking about the global international crisis here. And when we come back, we're going to go over a lawsuit. In Florida, right now, over a $4.8 million transaction. Again, this is Tooltime Real Estate Radio. We're coming right back at you on WWDB 860 AM.
0: The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage?
1: Your phone call is on hold. REMAX at
0: 610 692 6976 or visit our website tomtool.com to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. When
5: you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com.
1: Buying a home or already own one, we can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New homebuyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered
0: a career in real estate?
1: 13 seconds, standby
0: your income. Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com.
1: Join our team,
0: the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX.
1: I right, stand by. We're coming back. Mics are hot.
2: Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell, and we've got Sarah Timon back two weeks in a row. Very exciting. Sarah, it's good to have you here. You're Thank on the you. inaugural episode, which was very cool. So I'm glad we got the three-man booth going, or three-person booth, I should say. <laughs> uh, so I don't nice. I'm, I'm glad you don't, or you probably <laughs> wouldn't be on the show with me, because that's not how we roll. So that's right. um, what I wanted to talk about now, I mean, th- this is a little alarming. Um, and again, you can follow us on the live stream on Facebook and on YouTube. Just look for Tom Tool Sales Group. There is a lawsuit filed by the seller of a home in Sarasota, a buyer who didn't get the property and it's located in Bird Key in Sarasota, Florida in a $4.8 million transaction where what they allege in the lawsuit is that, and I'm just going to read right. And this isn't even, this isn't like the Herald Tribune, Tribune, which is the local paper in Sarasota. So prominent real estate agent, Roger Pentengill at Coldwell Banker, He's being sued right now for a home on Bird Key by the potential buyer and the seller. And that's kind of the alarming part. Um, And this is in Broward County where uh, the buyer who lost out on the property accused the real estate agent of manipulating the sellers into choosing a buyer that the listing agent also represented. So it was a dual agency situation, if that's the right term in Florida. And um, he received both sides of the commission involving a $4.6 million property plus $200,000 for furniture. Which you know that that that's obviously a, a big number there. And what he says happened is that there was two offers that came in, and the he had, the, the they weren't presented properly. The seller ended up knocking, or the buyer ended up knocking on the seller's door and raising the offer. Um, and now they're saying he manipulated it to get both sides of the transaction. Uh, the sellers are looking for thirty thousand dollars in damages plus a return of the commission. Uh, the buyer. I, I mean I, I they're just looking for damage at this point what do you guys think about that i mean th- this is alarming I mean th- I've, I've been saying there's going to be a buyer that sues some point I didn't think it'd be something like this so what right. do you guys think
3: the fact that it's the buyer and the seller that are suing both um it, it's just a, a pretty wild situation when I was reading this I was like oh my gosh it's one of those situations where you think it could never happen and it happens so and you're dealing with a lot of money here um it, it's, it, it's 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 pretty interesting how it all came about and the allegations. Um, I'm just curious to see how this all shakes out. Um, because the buyer is convinced of of what happened to him, the sellers convinced of their loss. And then you have the agent in between that's, you know, defending himself at this point, but he can't release any information obviously, um, because it's still ongoing investigations. But, uh, One reason why I personally don't like dual agency Mm -hmm. um, because of that. I don't know. I always feel uncomfortable trying to represent each. I'm a 110% kind of person. So representing a party 110 and another the same, you know, on the same transaction 110, it just doesn't work out well for me. But that's my personal feeling. Um, I can see where something like this could totally happen. There's a lot of money at stake. You have a listing agent that brings a buyer in also. You know, the the allegations are he didn't present the other offer in in full, you know, in paper. He just verbally uh, said what the offer was. Um, So I could see how something like this could totally happen. So you have to, as an agent, you have to be totally upfront and transparent with everything. Everything has to be on paper or it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. There's no verbal anything. Just you have to present to your sellers everything on paper, all the offers that come in, um, no matter what. That's that's rule number 1 if you're representing sellers.
4: Yeah, I mean I think there's like a couple different things that that come into play here. One, I I absolutely agree with Stacy that if you are representing both sides of the transaction, the potential for it to get hairy, um, is certainly there. Um, so that's that's one factor of it. The other is um, I I agree that everything really does need to be in writing. Um, if you are a seller and you have a couple of different offers coming in, if they're being verbally presented to you in different pieces at different times, it's hard for anybody to keep any of that straight. Um, the best way to do it, really, is to have um, a time that you review all of the offers, if you have a couple in hand. Um, to show, you know, this is this offer, this is this offer, this is this offer. It's all in writing. This this is what it is so that you don't have um you know, room for confusion in there and and that everybody is on the same page and understands what an offer actually is. Now, if the seller came um, after the fact and then verbally upped their offer, if the um or I mean I'm sorry, if the buyer came knocked on the door and then up their offer after a transaction has already gone through. I mean, that's kind of after the fact, um, but you you have to assume that also everybody has the ability to talk to everyone these days. So I mean, sure. it's, yeah. it should absolutely be you know agent to agent is who is communicating. But everybody has Facebook. Everybody has the ability to Google people and and find out different things. And no, they are not supposed to uh, be talking. They're supposed to go through. Through their agents, but you have to assume that people are are human. They're gonna kind of dig and find out. And if they felt like they were slighted in something, there they may very well go and and contact that person. So I guess always you know make sure that you're operating above board and that there isn't anything that you wouldn't want the other side to find out. <laughs> you know, like you know, right. stay honest.
3: I just had that situation happen. I was uh, following up with a listing agent. We have a closing in a couple of weeks and he informed me he said oh did you know that your buyers the your buyers and my sellers have been talking and they've even been they've your buyers have been over to the house a few times and i'm like i have no idea and he said i had no idea either until yesterday when my sellers told me so <laughs> that's to sarah's point yes everybody has facebook or instagram you can track people down they'll reach out so you don't know what's going on behind the scenes as long as you're transparent with everything should be no issues sure
2: well, and, and you bring up a couple good points. Dual agency, I mean, some agents like to do it. I intentionally do not practice dual agency for the same reasons you talked about, because it gets a little dicey and there, 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 there's things that have to be clear there. Also, you know, I know what we use at our firm and at our team is, hey, here's a summary of the offer and it's in writing and it's emailed. So there is no question what's in that contract, because invariably, when people go over the summary of the offer. They say, oh, I didn't know this was in there. And I said, well, why don't you check your email? I sent you two days ago and they didn't read it. So it makes that conversation a lot easier. Uh, You know, I I don't know the details of this lawsuit. And I I think it's tough to to speculate. From what I've heard from some people that I know, like in that office and in that marketplace is that the, um, you know, one, the agent who's getting sued, he has got a great reputation. Now Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean he's not doing anything right or wrong, but there, you know, you have to look at past performance. Um, What I also understand is that, the offer was adjusted after the, the buyer lost. And I don't know about you guys. I've seen this happen many times where buyers say, well, if I would have known that was the other offer, I would have paid more. Well, you don't get a second chance sometimes. And just because you want to go over there and knock on the door and get things done. I mean, it, it, it's very interesting how that happens. I mean, I've had sellers where they've just declined an offer and then the buyer writes a letter, drops it in their mailbox and says, your agent's doing everything wrong, blah, 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 blah. My sellers call me laughing and they say, Hey, they tried to get their offer accepted and they threw you under the bus. Thanks for keeping us informed about everything. So this is what people will do Mm -hmm. because they don't care about realtors. Like I, I mean, some of these buyers, they will do anything they can to get the house and it, whether it's ethical, right or wrong, that's not what I'm, and this is just the world we live in. Right. And so I think that it's really important to acknowledge that number one. And you know, from what I understand, there, there was a home inspection attached to the offer that lost mm-hmm. versus no home inspection on the initial offer. And then what happened, and no one's talking about this, the agent they're suing, the buyer, the buyer is suing, went out and found them another house in the same area. So it's nice that they're suing the guy, but they also, he said, hey, I'm sorry, it didn't work out. Then they used him in the transaction to go buy something else. So I've had a little hard time with that. I mean, at a much
3: higher price, at
2: a much higher price. Mm-hmm. It's over. I think this, this home was 4.8 million. They bought something for like six plus.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've got a really hard time with that. Mm-hmm. And now you can sue someone for whatever reason you want. I mean, I've you know had complaints about filed against me that are totally unfounded that I've won. I, you know, this is the world we're living in. And the, the, the point is no one is talking about that part of the story. If they were so unhappy with him,
4: right? Why did they go back would and they, use him again? Right. What, where's
2: the agent that wrote the offer that didn't get the house? Right. right. Where's that person? Maybe they didn't think they negotiated properly, and they <laughs> got rid of them right i mean right. this is this is a real thing that that no one is talking about, so despite whatever's going on here in the news, you got to look at people's actions mm-hmm. and what actually happened and you know i, I again uh, you know the the misstep here in my view, if it really did happen because they bought a home for six point five million afterwards, right, and he found it um so. You know, and then, then they're suing the guy for the difference in the price between the property that they sold him versus the property they would have paid right. at the 4.8 million. Um, and it's just it, it's it, it's crazy to me it's and a strange
3: situation. Y- I can't wait to see how this pans out though. I really want to know the, the whole truth. Well, I, I
2: feel for the agent because it looks like he tried to do the right thing, and it's you know that this is what happens. And I think that's why, you know, if you're a buyer, you know, calling a listing agent is like calling your husband and wife's divorce attorney. You're in a divorce. You don't want your soon-to-be ex-husband or ex-wife representing both sides, right? So I think that that's what buyers need to realize going into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, if you're the agent, I'd be putting everything in writing. I mean, even if you have a phone call with somebody, send them an email afterwards. So they know exactly what you said because people have selective memories. It's, it's unfortunate. It's what happens. Mm-hmm. And if you're a if you're, if you're a buyer or seller, I'd say, Hey, I want to see everything in writing. So I know what I'm looking at. Like take the time that you don't have to make these decisions really quick. Um, especially on, on, on the, on the purchase side. So I think there's a lot to be learned from this and it's unfortunate the way it played out for the agent. Mm -hmm. If he only presented it verbally, I mean that, that, that's an area where he can improve too.
3: But he has a really good reputation as, as you said. And not only that, he's very experienced in doing dual agency. If you, you know, it says that he has represented both buyer and seller in 22 transactions. Mm -hmm. And that's about 30% of his deals. So, you know, he's very experienced at, at working that type of situation.
4: Right. Yeah. It's not like he has a great repu- uh, great reputation, but had never done this type of deal before. This is right. the type of deal that he's often putting together and still has a very good reputation in the area. So,
2: yeah, I'm not saying it's I, I mean, there's always everyone can improve. Right. right. And if, if I mean, if if it was presented verbally and, you know, I, we, we deal in a very you know kind of a much lower price point here because that's what philadelphia is you Now these are waterfront properties it's a little different mm-hmm. so it, it, if i was a seller i'd want to see it all in writing if i was a buyer i'd put everything in writing and this is the mistake a lot of buyers make yes yeah you know, sure. when you write up an offer it's got to get presented mm-hmm. i mean how many times have you guys been on the phone and you present an offer to your seller and they say why are you even calling me with this
1: You
2: mm-hmm. had that happen before oh yeah i've been on a call with you where this happened sarah yeah and helping you out and We've talked about it as well, and and it's because you have a fiduciary responsibility to present these things. Mm-hmm. If you just say, hey, it's a verbal, and hey, I'll, I'll pay you $4.8 million for the property, you don't know the settlement date, you don't know the terms, you don't know the financing, and that's where a lot of buyers make the mistake of not putting things in writing. And maybe that's what happened here. I don't know. I mean, it, it's you have to present it, but it, without it being in paper and having the ability to sign it and sell your home, it's a much different situation.
3: But there's a lot of bad agents out there, Tom. Agreed. <laughs>
2: Right. That's why, we're, that's why we're on the show, that's giving right. this advice to people, because they need to hear it. Whether or not yeah. they use us, that's not the point. Right. Just don't make a mistake and get yourself into the situation. And obviously, the buyer who's suing him, it's clear to me, they had they felt like they had a bad agent, because then they used the guy that they're suing. Right. exactly. I mean, I, this th- that is the craziest part of this story to me, is that he went out of their way, found him a home, and then they're still suing the guy anyway.
3: Right, mm-hmm. I know, that's the interesting that's twist. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, it, it just feels like it's like sour grapes at this point. If they didn't get the one house, they paid more for another house. And obviously, they felt the other home was worth the extra million five or whatever it is. Um, so, I mean, I, I would imagine this lawsuit's going to get thrown out. We'll see what happens. I mean, So, do you see more of this coming? Is this going to be the new trend? When a buyer loses out on a home, Ooh. are they going to start freaking out like this? Because really we've had depends. some pretty ticked off buyers lately when they lose out for the fourth or fifth time no fault of the agent. They just don't do what's necessary to get the property.
3: Yeah, it depends. I mean, this is obviously a super high dollar, uh, transaction. So, um, and you know, there's, they, I'm sure that, uh, maybe one is an attorney already or, you know what I mean? They might have a family lawyer or something, but, um, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be the trendsetter, but you're right. A lot of buyers get really upset if they do lose out. um, they could, uh, you know, it could spark more lawsuits. But I don't, I personally, I don't think it's going to be the trend where a lot of people are going to be so happy for losing out on homes. Um, especially if agents practice, you know, everything being presented in paper. You just have to do what you're supposed to be doing as an agent. You You know, you have to practice by all the rules. So as long as you're doing that, you're going to be fine. You're not going to have these problems. But if you try to skirt around situations, you're going to have problems.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would think in most cases for buyers, I mean, I know that people can try to sue people, you know.
2: Yeah, you could sue someone can for it. I could. You could sue me right now because I looked at you the wrong way, Sarah.
4: Right. But, I mean, if there's other offers that were, you know, better offers, and that's why they lost out in the house. I mean, I don't know how, how far an individual would be able to make it in a transaction if their agent was doing what needed to be done, um, in order to, to help their client, their client to the the best of their ability. Like, I just, I don't see how it would, uh, be able to, to play out and actually, uh, go the whole way through.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, it's expensive to litigate too, and, and to get an attorney yes. involved And it, it, to me, it's a waste of time. If you can work it out yourself, mm-hmm. the, the, again, I, I think that the, the clearest thing here is follow the process and go over the basics. Like when, you, when you're when you're submitting an offer, put the offer in writing, follow the offer instructions, which I know is a foreign concept to a lot of realtors, because if you want to hide something from a real order, just put it in the MLS and they just won't pay attention. I mean, that, that's just how it is. Follow the offer instructions, put the whole contract in writing and force an answer. That way you've done everything you can do and you're protecting yourself as a buyer agent. What I also know is there's paperwork laws that got to be followed. So in Pennsylvania, we've got to provide a closing cost estimate every time an agreement of sale is signed. Same thing with a listing agreement. So make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do as an agent. When you cut corners, this is when you get in trouble. And when you've got an attorney or the real estate commission looking through your file, you want to Mm -hmm. make sure it's all buttoned up. And all the more reason to know what the laws are, to Stacy's point, make sure you're not one of those bad agents that are out there just trying to close deals and follow all the paperwork and the communication, you know, almost excessively. And if you feel like you're in a situation like this, or if you're practicing dual agency, you got to put everything in writing. Mm-hmm. I'd be emailing nonstop with that, even after the phone calls, just to make sure it's documented. It's proven. They know exactly what was said because anytime something's done verbally, I mean, you I could say... Tell say have a conversation with Sarah right now, and I could say, "Hey, here's what's going on." And she says, "Well, Stacy, that's not what Tom told me. Right. Not that you would do that, but right. I mean that that's what can happen, right? So it's got to be in writing." And I think that's that's the lesson here for a consumer and for an agent. If you want to cover yourself, make sure you're backing up your communication in these in these transactions in writing, because that way there's no room for for misinterpretation.
3: I agree wholeheartedly.
2: All right. So what we're going to do on that note, we got. Inman superstar author coming on next, Jimmy Burgess. And if you want to make sure you know how to put stuff in writing and present offers properly, it's a, and you're thinking about getting into real estate, it's a great opportunity to connect with our team. We have a real estate scholarship. If you're thinking about getting licensed, it's realestatescholarshipprogram.com. But enough of that. We got Jimmy Burgess coming on, Inman all-star. Jimmy, we're looking forward to chatting with you next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM.
1: Buying a home or already own one, we can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings.
0: Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking it?
1: Stand by 10 seconds.
0: Tool sales group at REMAX at 610 692 6976 or visit our website tomtool.com to connect and take advantage of these market conditions.
2: All right. All right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM streaming live on Facebook and YouTube. Just search Tom Tool Sales Group. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacy Mitchell. And we have mega star agent, influencer, good friend, Inman article, Jimmy Burgess on. Jimmy, super grateful to be seeing you here. And we were just talking about your state. Uh, so, you haven't met Stacy and Sarah yet, but they've got a lot of great questions for you. So Jimmy is the authority on real estate, and what you should follow him on is Inman. So talk a little bit about like what you're what you're doing with your Inman uh, with your Inman stuff right now, because if you don't know Inman news, it's like the real estate news spot to go to. And Jimmy's putting out like four or five articles a week, and he had like six of the top ten articles rated in the month of August.
6: Um, listen, Tom, before I even get started, man, what a privilege to be with you, my friend. Um, <laughs> it's been too long. I know we're going to get together in a couple of weeks, um, but uh, just appreciate um you're doing. I'll say the whole idea behind what I do with Inman um, really is a lot of what you guys are doing right here um, as far as just giving back to the business that's been so good to us. Um, you know, I run a um, company that we're, we've got about 250 agents and do about $2 billion worth of annual sales. And so it started out where I was just educating our agents through video. Um And then actually what we did is we began sending that out to agents in our community, understanding that uh, you know, we're all better together. And just like what you were talking about in the previous segment, um, when we talk about these things in advance and we build these relationships with the other agents in a way, um, we're all better. Um, and so it started out that way. And then after doing that, um basically, I had someone said, hey, you, you should do a podcast. And we started the Real Estate Sales Podcast. And basically all that was was the audio from those videos. Um, and then actually I would written a couple of articles years and years ago uh, for Enman. Um, just one off. And then, um, I just had, I've been to run into the editor for Inman, who had been a friend of mine since back then. And, um, she said, Hey, um, you know, maybe, maybe you should do, do some articles again. And, and I did one and she said, Hey, could you do a weekly? And so it basically just turned into something now where I'm doing two a week. And, um, then I'm loving it. I mean, I just, it just, it gives us the ability, really, somebody did it for us when we were starting, you know, to us get to these levels. And so I think the best way to honor, all those people that spent so much time with uh, being patient with me um, was to share some of the knowledge. Not that I got all the information, but after 27 years, well over half of my life, um, all of a sudden now, uh, maybe if I can share some things in a way that people can avoid some of the mistakes that I made, um, that hopefully it helps everybody do a little bit better.
2: Love that. And, you know, when you when you give back, I mean, you always get more than you give. But when you give back, it it, it does make a difference. And, you know, that that's something that, you know, obviously we're, we're big on here with our organization. And, you know, we run in some of the same circles that we were surrounded by a lot of great professionals that do that. So um, Jimmy is the chief growth officer at Berkshire Hathaway home services, beach properties of Florida at this place. I haven't been to this place, but it's called 39A and it's apparently like the best beach 30. I see. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So
0: Uh, tell us a little bit
2: about like where you're from and maybe your career to this point, because it's great. Like, Hey, now, He's this big Inman article, he's got 250 agents, he's the chief growth officer, but how did it start? Because that's, getting started to me is the toughest thing in this business.
6: So, Tom, I was, um, I was kind of born in this business. My parents got a divorce when I was a teenager. Um, my dad moved about 45 minutes away. My dad opened a real estate company and so did my mom. And so, literally, I was kind of born into this business. So, after going to college, starting out with Merrill Lynch, I mean, you know, I'm in a coastal market, you can see, I mean, this is not a coat and tie kind of area where I'm at. Um, and so after a year of being in the corporate environment with Berkshire Hathaway, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, um, my brother was coming back to help my mom kind of grow her company. And um, so I left Maryland, came into the real estate business um, and at, at basically at, at 23 years old um, and just started realizing all of a sudden, wait a minute, there, there may be something here. And uh, this was back. In, I mean, we were old school back in the day in this little small rural market. I'm literally as I'm here, I'm about. 25 miles from the dirt road i grew up on and there was nothing at this beach back then you know and so um i started out really selling first-time home buyers selling a lot of um you know uh, rural development type loans va loans fha loans and then all of a sudden our market grew around us down to the beach and that's where i ended up down here but humble beginnings we had my mom as the broker uh, my stepdad worked there and we had three additional agents besides my brother and myself and i remember we had um, an article back in Oh, in the 90s and it was one of these like 30 under 30 for the state of florida and they're like they're young they're savvy and they're in it for the long run and it was like me with this full head of hair you know, <laughs> so naive, you know what i mean um had, had done like um, 107 transactions and our total sales volume was like eight million dollars wow and it was like our average sales price was so ridiculously low um and now to see what's happened down here in our marketplace um what we've seen as far as the growth in our area you know one way to make this listen we've i've been doing this long enough and i know you have too This market sometimes will make you look better than you are, which is doing for a lot of us right now, Um, but it would just as quickly make you look as bad as you are. So I went through the booms of selling real estate in the early 2000s and the boom of the real estate market up in 2004, making a million dollars a year. And then Tom, I'm sitting there literally three years later after making some dumb decisions, obviously, and I'm sitting in bankruptcy court with $500 in my name. Wow. And um, so so we're at a place right now, which is, you know, and so you go through that and you come back and you bounce back and you go through all the hardships. Um, and there's a part of me that is just so passionate about making sure that other agents realize that um, I don't know what this market's going to do, but this too shall pass. It may get better. It may pull back some. It may get very difficult. It may get extremely easy, but I do know that change is coming one way or the other. And so what I'm trying to do now is just spread that information that I wish um, I'd had more of when I was at that point, um, because, I mean, we're in the greatest business in the world. I mean, this is literally we're sitting at a place right now. I mean, these are the good old days. If you're a buyer, if you're a seller, these are the good old days. If you're an agent, this is really these are the good old days. Opportunity is abounding all around us. So now it's just it's a matter of just getting out there and doing some of those things. I kind of went on a long route of where I, how I got here, but um, I'm just so thankful for all of it now. You know, looking in hindsight, probably the best thing that ever happened to me was going through all those struggles, because now I appreciate the things we have, and, and it's given me a passion for other agents, too.
2: I think it's super critical to be grateful what you went through, because, I mean, I, I was through 9-11, right? We were through the 08 crisis. Sarah and Stacy, I mean, Stacy joined the team and signed her paperwork in the middle of the shutdown. And Sarah joined like two months before. Mm -hmm. So for these two especially, like, what perspective do you have, having been in the business a couple years now, because Jimmy's been through the same thing, and maybe like, do you have any questions for him like how he adjusted when the market normalized a bit, because you're talking about one of the most incredible times over the past 18, 24 months.
3: Well, Jimmy, you had mentioned that um, during the 08 crisis, you found yourself in bankruptcy court uh, with what was a $500 in your pocket or something? That
6: was it. Yeah. Yes. It,
3: bad times for a lot, a lot of people. So how did you find your way out of that? And I have another question too. I'm sorry. But you said that when your parents divorced, your mom started, um, she got into real estate and then your dad got into real estate. Whatever happened with your father's real estate career?
6: So interesting, um, because my dad actually, he grew a company back then. I mean, you got to understand, um, I think he sold the company in like 1988 or so, 90. And basically, he had grown that to over 120 agents. And this is back when there weren't that many big, larger companies. And the lady that he sold it to is still actually in this area. She's about 45 minutes to an hour. And I actually talked to her last week. Um, and she owns the ERA franchise over there. Um, and... Um, and she tells tells the story of coming in there with my dad and thinking, How in the world is this guy, you know, with all not I mean he came in with you know with literally with shorts and, and and um and boat shoes on and she's like, What in the world? And so when I saw her, she tells the story of I was like, I'm negotiating with a guy that doesn't have socks on. And so literally when I ran into her at an awards um banquet a couple of years ago um for this, I walked up and I was like, Hey, just so you know, I got socks on. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm taking this next generation thing to the next level. Um but but literally, that was kind of what happened with his company. Um, you know, it was a situation where literally, by the time I got out of college, he was back out of real estate and uh, was in developing um, properties at that time. So it was a natural for me to be um, with my mom, um, and uh, and also probably such a gift. I mean, I think it's so critical to have somebody that's mentoring you, and um, literally to have my mom, you know, a couple of offices away there for the first three years of my real estate career was incredible. Um, you know, I have that where I, I felt comfortable asking anything um and to uh know that she was gonna shoot me straight and tell me when I was extremely wrong and tell me when I was doing things right. So um but as far as getting on the you know bouncing back after that, um this is one of those things where I think it was just like I mean I, I'll be honest, I sat in it for a couple of years. You know, I sat in that thing, you know, and that doesn't happen overnight. You know, this thing unwinds, it takes time. Um and um I literally had some you know some some health issues. It doesn't just affect your finances, it affects your relationships and everything else. And um I literally went through a health scare and basically hit bottom where I lost my voice for two months. you got to understand, my voice is all i got. I mean, I, I mean I'm just telling you. We can, we can tell. All i got is my voice. I know, right? And so <laughs> literally, I go through that process. I end up in Vanderbilt uh, Voice Clinic up in Nashville, and they tell me they find a mass in my throat at 35 years old, and I'm sitting there going, man, what in the world is going on here? And um, just really got to focus on what was truly important. I um, realized my wife, after we went through all of this, I mean, she really meant it when she said, better worse, rich or poor, you know, good health and, you know, sickness and health. And so all of a sudden I got a, I got a new um, passion for, um, making sure that I was going to be the husband I was created to be, the father I was created to be, um, and, and the agent that I was created to be. And so after coming through all of that, I just really got focused back on what was important, which to that point, to be pretty frank, I'm so, I was so driven by transactions and next, next, next. But all of a sudden, I began to focus on relationships and actually going deeper with the people that i had done business with. And um, and they took me wide. They took our business wide from there um, as we began to focus really on those folks that had been good to us and really focusing on who are those best people that you're working with, that ideal client, and spending more time with them because they were the ones that actually referred us to people that we wanted to work with. And so those are some of the things we did. It doesn't happen overnight, obviously, um, but we did. once. It, and, and a lot of times it happens up here mentally before you see it out there. But that's what really worked for us as we came out of it. That's
3: great. Love that.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's interesting um, and I think that you're right on there where um, sometimes taking a step back and kind of evaluating mm-hmm. and balancing out your life a little bit more actually makes you a better agent and a more productive agent than just grinding solely on transaction, transaction, transaction. It's almost like you need that little bit of perspective and to really you, like you had said, just being grateful um, and and stepping back and seeing the full picture helps you in each aspect. So I, I feel like that's very true.
6: Awesome. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this. Don't, don't ever doubt, though, Tom, because you know me well enough to know this, and I know I know you too. Um, there ain't nothing wrong with grinding. I mean, I, I get after it. You know what I mean? It didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't lose that fire for working hard. What I did um, know, Tom, is, is I found that there was a balance there that I'd never had before. Um, and so as we did that, I, I'm just joking. I tell all of our agents, I was like, listen, if you really want to do this, I'll tell you how I got um, the success that I had. And and it was something where I had to learn how to work smart and be diligent. This is what I really love about my friend Tom is how diligent he is in his schedule and how disciplined he is in every area of his life. Um, but for me, I had somebody when I was really young um, say, listen, I mean, you, you know, um, you you may not be the smartest one, but if you'll work harder than anybody else, th- good things are going to happen. And so literally to this day, I had a group of my Kind of group that i kind of keep in touch with um their mutual friends and, I, and i'll kick a video of me unlocking the doors into the office this morning early you know and i'll do that every so often because i used to say that I, I called it the um the unlock um your success principle if you'll unlock or lock the doors at least one time a day in your office and you're literally working while you're there and you're you're focused on doing the things that move your business next level um good things are going to happen too
2: Unlock the door. I, I, that, That's we should all write that down here. That's a good one. I feel like a team meeting coming up here. So um, we got like what, like three minutes left here, Brett. So anything else, Jimmy, like where can people follow you? What should they know about you? And and tell us in maybe because we, we were short on time. What's going to happen in the market in 2022? I'd love to get your perspective on that because, you know, it is different everywhere. And then we, we can kind of wrap this up.
6: Yeah, I think, um, obviously, I think this, I mentioned a little bit earlier that it's a really good time for both buyers and sellers right now. Um, the numbers still make sense. If you're a, if you're someone that's been renting, you can buy a very comparable house for less than what you're going to pay in rent. You've got historically low rates, which means the affordability as far as your monthly payment. I always tell people, if you're looking at price, price is a one-time event, obviously when you're purchasing, that mortgage payment, which is based on that interest rate, it's an ongoing deal. So if you're buying a house, which hopefully most people are for a you know, an extended period of time. Not know there's no one out there flipping something. If they're looking from a standpoint of buying their personal residence over a five, seven, ten year period, they're going to keep um, making sure that you take advantage of these low interest rates. Really makes a lot of sense right now. So we're we're really focusing on trying to help the buyers from that perspective of them understanding exactly where we are in the cycle. And nobody knows where the prices are going. What I would say is there's so much demand out there, and we've got a ten year lag of new construction that is just going to take years for us to work out to get back to a Place where we've got some type of semblance of a normal type of inventory situation. So I can I would continue to think that prices are going to go up in the spring and then the end um, of this next year. I think we may see a you know a cooling down of the amount. You know we may go from double digits to single digit gains over the next 18 months. Um, but I think we're going to see that. As far as from a seller's perspective, I mean my gosh, if you're if you're thinking about selling the next few years and you want to take all of the question marks off the table and want to sell into strength. Um, in my career, there's never been a time you can sell into as much strength as possible. One of the things that we're watching though is obviously the average days on markets continue to creep up in most markets. We're also beginning to see where people are getting 10 offers now, they're getting three to four, or maybe one or two. So as those things, if you're looking as far as the seller on where is the trend, the trend is obviously moving back towards normalcy. So if you feel like you may have wanted to sell in the next couple of years, now might be a great time. Everybody's situation is different, but now might be a great time to really dive deep with some with, with like Tom or somebody on the team. Um, and just make sure that you're at a place where you're identifying when it's best for you, but you've never had an opportunity to sell in the strength that you do now. So I'm very positive on both sides. I think what we're seeing right now is prices have gone up. It has taken some of the demand out of the market, which we needed, to be perfectly frank, to get to a place where we could see some normalcy. So pretty exciting time. I don't know what you're seeing, Tom, but I mean, for us and everybody coming around the country, this is an exciting time to be in this business. And really, no, it doesn't matter which part of the business you're in right now, there's opportunities.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and the one thing where we're going to differ is that we don't have a lot of new construction here. Uh, besides that, um, everything else is, is spot on and, and there there is a lot of opportunity. And I think the people that don't take advantage now, they're either going to have a higher payment down the line if they're a buyer or the sellers might miss the market. I mean, they might not get that like super clean, non-contingent, aggressively above asking price sales. So where can we connect with the Jimmy? Again, we got Jimmy Burgess on here, the chief growth officer at Berkshire Hathaway down in Florida. Um, how, how do people connect with you? What, what's the what, I know you got your YouTube channel going. What, what, what's the best yeah. way to do that?
6: Yeah, if you just go to YouTube and look up Jimmy Burgess, I think we've got over two hundred videos now um, that are just agent hey, just tips um, interviews, um, which obviously I got to get back with you Tom, about maybe next week, um, get with you. Um, and then also, um, the real estate sales podcast is, is, is another hundred episodes, um, where we're just giving tips and strategies for agents to help them serve their clients better. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find on, uh, you can just Google me. you should, you should be able to find me there.
2: Yeah. It's Jimmy Burgess, J I M M Y B U R G E S S Jimmy, my man, appreciate you coming on. This is like the world famous Inman Contributor Good friend, great agent, and a great resource for real estate. So that's going to be it for this week. You want to connect with Jimmy again? Search him on YouTube. Stacy is on Instagram at the number two Mitch M I T C H C O. Sarah is at Ty Time. I screwed this up. At T Y underscore T Y T I M E on Instagram. Ty underscore Ty Time. There we go. Follow me at tomtool Tool three R D on Instagram. Find the team on Facebook. Tom Tool Sales Group. And you can also watch our stream on Facebook and YouTube. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860
1: AM. Alright, you want to talk to him before he like hangs up unless he's hung up by now?
6: I'm
2: still here, Jimmy. You there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hey, brother. Man, thanks, man. That I that, that was rocked. Okay. That was great.
6: I hope it was okay. I kind of went a different direction. Than I was playing with some of that personal stuff, but I hope that was okay.
2: I think that's the best stuff, man. I mean, that's that's all it is. I mean, yeah. I thought it was really you had you had the story, which was cool. Um, market predictions. Talked about what you're doing on it. I mean, we we hit a lot in the twenty some minutes we had. I thought it was. I thought it rocked.
6: Okay. Great. Well, tell Stacy, sir, I said, appreciate um, seeing them too. And um, listen, you're going to be up there. Um, when are you getting into town? Um, I'm, I'm
2: not going to be at Kiowa. I got to go to the summit uh, uh, next week. Oh
6: yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Well, i see tell you what, you'll be in the summit next week Then I'll send you some options for a couple. Yeah. Weeks just shoot now, me a text. Yeah. And,
2: and phone, then we could, okay? yeah, we can just jump on for sure, brother.
6: Okay, man. Appreciate hey. you more than you know. Okay.
2: Yeah. So no, it goes both ways here. Thanks, man. All
6: right, man.
2: Okay.